Good morning once again. Today we continue our series titled Life at the Boiling Point. So when water is heated to 212 degrees, next week I'm going to ask you what the temperature is. By the way, I say it every week. So when it reaches, sorry, so when it reaches 212, it goes through a phase change. It changes from liquid to gas. And so really what the series is about is about life transformation. It's about God changing us over a period of time. And we've been talking about disciplines that kind of warm us up. It, it, it increases our spiritual temperature. And today we're talking about prayer. This past week, <clears throat> excuse me, I finished reading a book that was exploring religious history in the United States, specifically the Great Awakenings. And the, the author was uh, kind of exploring what the next awakening might, might entail. And the word awakening, of course, gives the idea of slumbering, of sleepiness, of indifference toward one's relationship with God. So awakening is individual and widespread interest in one's relationship with God. And the author in this one section talks about Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts. And during a, a period of, uh, during the first great awakening, and over a period of seven years, there was this great stirring in, in his town to where 300 people were awakened. 300 people. And they joined the church. And Edward's friends asked him, when he was in the middle of it, to kind of recount and to think about and write a history of the testimonies and then his perspective as a pastor. So four years after being asked, he, he wrote down um, his thoughts. And he said this, that there's generally four, he, he's, he called them steps or processes. And he said, first, there's a general stirring toward moral living. And then there's an awareness of personal shortcomings and sin. So a general stirring toward moral living and awareness of personal shortcomings and sin. An experience of converting grace. And then after that, a palpable sense of joy from encountering the new light of God. So it makes sense, right? A person has a conversation with a Christian, reads the Bible, hears a sermon, and then they realize they should change. Right? They realize that they should change. So they set out to change. They try to change. And then they become aware that even though they want to change, they're not able to. And because they realize that they're not able to, even when they want to, they realize that there is need for grace and help from God. And once this person has this deep, intimate encounter with the gracious God, it changes them. It, what we would say in Pilgrim's Progress is that the burden rolls off their back and then there's a palpable sense of joy. And when they come face to face, not just with the experience of God's grace, but that, but that joy, it, it just changes them over time. And so Edward writes that a person can be stirred to moral living, they can have an awareness of sin and the limitations of self. A person can have these meaningful experiences with God and be extremely happy about it. But he says that the whole process is stalled if there isn't prayer. And it seems like prayer moves a person closer and closer to God. So to synthesize what he says... You may have great preaching, which was a mark of the first great awakening. You may have a great movement toward missions, which was a mark of the second great awakening. You may have a great movement of social justice, which was a movement, uh, a mark of the third great awakening. 
But if there is no prayer, there is no awakening. That prayer initiates and sustains God's work in us. It starts and it continues God's work in us. So today we're talking about prayer. So we're talking about life change, but really what we're talking about is, is, is how does God move us further and further along. And so we've talked that they're not steps, that you don't do this and do this, and then you're guaranteed something. But prayer keeps our hearts soft. And so I want you to seriously consider and carefully consider what I share today about prayer. And I want you to think about what it would mean for you to integrate prayer into your life to the point that it not only it, that it's not just something that you do, but it becomes a part of who you are. That you see yourself not giving God a bunch of to-dos, a honey-do list, but that it's an ongoing conversation. And that in prayer you're not making God a part of your life, but in prayer you're seeing yourself as part of God's life. He is, after all, a father, so he's relational. So we're going to talk about that today. Okay, so let me, let me frame it for you so you can hang on to it a little bit. So at the, the first point, I'm just going to talk about the invitation to prayer, okay? For those of you who like to keep box score, point number one is um, to simply pray and to pray simply. Simply pray and pray simply. Then we're going to talk about the form that prayer can take, or the forms that prayer can take. And then we're going to look at what should drive us. What should be the impulse that drives us to prayer? So before we talk about the impulse that drives us to prayer at the end, let's talk a little bit about what keeps us from praying. The number one excuse. Right, so the number one excuse, I would say, is what? Busyness? Right? I'm too busy. All right? I'm too busy to pray. But, I mean, generally I agree that we're probably too busy overall. All right? I agree with that. But I think that there's actually, busyness presents itself as the problem up here, but there's a number of things underneath that's actually where we feel justified in using busyness as an excuse. Let me just talk about it, and then I'll just summarize that thought, okay? Number one, the reason that we don't pray, we're not good at it. We're not good at it. All right? When we're competent, we feel confident. And prayer makes us feel vulnerable. Right? When we're competent, we feel confident. When we pray, sometimes we feel silly, sometimes we don't know if we're doing it right, and so we just stop doing it. We really think that prayer should just come to us second nature. Let me point out to you Luke chapter 9, which is a chapter that talks about prayer. It says, And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us to pray. Prayer is something that you learn. Right? It's something that you learn. And so how do you learn anything? By doing it once a week? No. I mean, you can. But with prayer, you should probably consider doing it more than once a week. So we're not good at it. But it's something that you learn. It's something that's studied. It's something that's cultivated. It's something that you talk to other people about. It's explored. It's practiced. Prayer is something that you can get better at. Number two, emotions. Emotions keep us from prayer. Okay? We often let the extremes of our emotions dictate our interactions with God. We have a bad day. We cuss someone. 
Give them a middle finger on the way home. On the way to work. A project didn't go well. Family pet made a huge mess. And then we have all these negative feelings. And then we say, well, I feel this way, so there's no need for me to pray. A serious religious person shouldn't feel this way when they pray. And so we just say, I'm not going to pray. That's avoidance, by the way. Or, on the other side of the spectrum, everything is going well. Everything is going well. No warning sign on the radar, so really no need to pray. Right? That's like opening your mouth, looking in the mirror, and then saying, no cavities, no need to floss. Right? So sometimes we can approach prayer like that. If there's no crisis, then we just don't do it. Number three, which I think that this might be the most serious, it's control and disappointment with God. Control and disappointment with God can keep us from praying. I have prayed about this issue. And what happened is not what I want to happen. So why should I even pray? I know. I get it. It can be heartbreaking. I've had the same thoughts as you. Personally, I've been resentful toward God for not letting parts of my life be different. For taking my dad at a young age. For miscarriages. For what seemed to me to be very avoidable hardships. But this is what I know. If we see prayer as about acquisition, talking to God about what we want, or if we see prayer primarily as a to-do list for God, or if we see prayer as a tool that we can use to exempt ourselves from the ordinary cares and the dangers of being human, if we do that, if we think that, then we turn something that was meant to free us into a prison. And I've been in that prison. And I just want to say this, and I don't know if anyone has ever floated this idea by you before, but I think that sometimes we need to forgive God. Oftentimes we think in Christianity that it's about God forgiving us, but as many people as I've talked to in my own experience seems to suggest that we need to consider forgiving God. Recently, I heard someone say that one of the things that we have to wrestle with God about is this, is that God is the great allower. He is the great allower. God allows. He allows negative and positives into our life. And by allowing on one hand, He disallows. And oftentimes, God disallows often contrary to the good and virtuous desires that we have. God, any idiot could see that this is what should happen. And we have to wrestle with that. So think about forgiving God. Generally speaking about the issue of control, prayer, I used to think that prayer was a way for me to get more control of my life. But prayer is not about getting more control. Prayer is actually you yielding more and more of your life to the divine agenda. And it's hard. It's really hard. So we say that we're busy. We say that we're busy. But my hunch is that we realize that we have mixed motives. Our own emotions confuse us and sometimes control us. We're disappointed with unanswered prayer or wrongly answered prayers. Or that we really just don't feel good when we pray. And I think that all of that is going on underneath us. 
and then we just use the shorthand, I'm too busy. Because we realize that to work through all of those different things is going to take a lot of effort and time. And we just say, I don't want to deal with it. I'm too busy to pray. I think that's a part, at least, maybe what's going on. But the invitation and the call is to simply pray. Simply pray. And then when you come, when you, when you just simply pray, pray simply. Look at verse 5 through 7. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know what's amazing to me? Is that prayer is crucial for our relationship with God. But Jesus gave very few rules as to how to do it. But we get the instructions here. First He says, Don't be a hypocrite. When you pray, pray as yourself. Don't pretend to be in prayer what you're not. Pray. Be yourself. In Jesus' day, people like to stand on the street corner, pray in the synagogue or in the temple complex in these loud, obnoxious ways. And Jesus had walked those street corners. He had been in those synagogues. He had been in the temple. So he says to his disciples, Don't be like that. I cannot stand it. I'm going to be listening to your prayers forever. So just do me a solid and do not be a hypocrite. I can't stand it. Just pray simply. Bring yourself and simply pray. Simply pray. Pray simply. Don't be like other people who think that the longer the prayer is, the better. Do you know what? I've, I've been a Christian for over half my life. been in ministry for almost half my life. I, very few times has there ever been a very long prayer that I thought was a very good prayer. I think I'm allowed to say that. I, and sometimes we have this thought about prayer that like the longer we pray and the more emotion we have that like with every sentence like we're twisting like we're moving up God's arm behind his back eventually and if we just keep praying eventually he'll say uncle you can have it okay you get the job Jesus says here that the reason that God hears you is not because you provided a thesis and then backed it up with about a dozen annotated footnotes God hears you because he loves you Remember, God's relationship with us is not transactional. It's transformational. Sometimes we approach prayer like it's a transaction. Alright God, here's the seriousness of the matter. I will give you five minutes of adoration. I will give you seven minutes of begging, groveling if necessary, if you'll just let me have this one thing. That's transactional. God's relationship with us is transformational. Let me explain that to you. He hears you because He loves you. And because He loves you, He is with you when you pray. And listen to this. God realizes He is going to allow and disallow things in your life that you are not going to like. And he invites you to come and talk to him about that too. Even when you're angry. Simply pray. 
Pray simply. Moses has one of these moments in Numbers chapter 11, which has become, in a very short time, one of my favorite passages. Moses is tired. He's angry about his job. He's disappointed with the people. And he gets honest with God. He says this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Why are you treating me like this, God? You've called me to be a leader, but I'm really a glorified babysitter. And actually, I'm not even glorified. They tried to kill me. I didn't conceive these people. I didn't give birth to them. And now you want me to nurse them? I'm a prophet, not a wet nurse. Not happening. I don't have the milk. I don't have the equipment. My plumbing is different. Thanks, God, but no thanks. That's your job. That's Moses' prayer. He comes to God with all of his worries, all of his care, even his anger at God, and he prays. He simply prays. He prays simply. And it changes Moses over the course of his life. He's not perfect. He doesn't live perfect. He doesn't die perfectly. But God meets him in that moment and shapes him. So the invitation, the call is to come, to be yourself, and to talk. So, let's talk about kind of the forms of prayer. The forms of prayer. How am I to pray? Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. But Jesus wasn't giving just like one form of prayer. Okay, that you have to go down this list in this way, and then it has to take on this, this kind of poetic form, because... John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and he completely breaks from this form, right? So when Jesus is providing what we have here, he's actually kind of giving us an idea of the content, like some of the things that we should pray about, and then he talks about kind of the impulse that should be driving us. So the content of our prayer is simply to be our present needs, our relationships, and then trusting God for what's ahead. Our needs, daily bread. Give us daily bread. You need to eat. You need things to stay alive. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those, right? It's how do you live out in your relationships with other people what you have received from God? And if you've received reconciliation and forgiveness from God, then that should impact how you relate to those around you. And then the huge burdens, the test, the temptations that we face. Lead us not. Deliver us. That we're to talk to God about those too. Now that's the content, but for the form, there's not one way to pray. This fact is seen in the book of Psalms, in which there's at least eight Eight different kinds of psalms. And these psalms were not just songs that were sung. But these songs were memorized. And then they were converted into prayers. That's what we see in the life of Jesus when he's on the cross. He quotes from Psalm chapter 22. Why have you forsaken me? So let me just do what I'm very hesitant to do. And since you didn't ask, I'm just going to do it, okay? Let me tell you about my personal experience, right? It might not jive with your personality or your temperament. I understand, but maybe it'll spur some creativity on your part, right? How many of you have ever heard of the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication? Okay, for those two of you who haven't, all right? <clears throat> I am easily distracted. 
That's why I write down everything I say. I am easily distracted. And with prayer, I'm very easily distracted when I pray, if I'm fatigued or feel stress, or like the pressure of a deadline. So using acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, as kind of an outline, it helps me kind of just focus my energy and my time. I don't always use it, but there's some times where I'm like, this is an acts kind of day, right? I just, I need, I need the form. So adoration, just telling Father, Son, and Spirit. You know what changed my prayer life is not just talking to God, but each person of the Trinity. Like one of the songs that we sang today. Spirit, hallowed be your name. When's the last time you've ever said that? No, we just leave the Spirit out. Oh yeah, and you too, by the way. Right? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about that. What would it mean for you to adore, to talk to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit about their person and their work in your life? And then confession. This is what I think is going well. This is what I think is not going so well. This was definitely my fault. And this is what I would like to change. And then help me see my blind spots. Thanksgiving. Cultivating a life of gratitude, which is a discipline we're going to talk about next week. Like, all good things are from God, so why not tell Him thanks? And then supplication, just prayer request is what we would call it. But think about it as rings of prayer. Once again, Jason gets very distracted. So, rings of prayer. To begin with yourself, then your family, colleagues, neighbors, and then general concerns, global concerns, things like that. So on Monday, why not just pray for yourself? Take the liturgy from Sunday, look at the prayer of confession, use that as a springboard, and pray for yourself and for the week ahead. Tuesday, pray for your family. Wednesday, pray for your colleagues. Thursday, pray for global concerns. Friday or Saturday, pray for the worship service ahead or pray for the church. These are just small things that you can do. By the way, there's no kind of time requirement. You don't have to do this for 45 minutes every morning. Prayer books. Sometimes I use prayer books. There's a number of them that I have used and, and still use. So I use them or their digital equivalent. And it's really good because they have a schedule. Oh, today's May 15th. This is what you should read. And this is a prayer that you can pray. It's a short devotional thought, a theme. So I use that to kind of uh, help me to move along. Number three, arrows. Popcorn prayer arrows, have you heard it? Right? These are just, a, a thought comes to you and you can just pray it. Right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, you got to go to church. Remember, you got to go to church to pray. Right? Because you're going to find me in church. So these are just, like when I'm reading, and then all of a sudden, one of your concerns pops up in my, in my mind, and so I pray for you. Right? Or I'm driving, and a thought comes up, or a concern that I have, or my family, and I just pray right there. I'm occupied with something else. I remember the request, and I just pray right there. So when I've had a, a job in a cubicle, and I was facing a project or an upcoming meeting, I would simply pause at my cubicle, take a few minutes, and pray. Jesus says, prayer doesn't have to be long. It shouldn't be loud in front of people. You don't have to stand on the street corner or go to church. It can be very, very private, and it can be very, very effective. But I'll say this with arrows. It's very helpful with concerns, and even adoration, and speaking gratitude to God. But prayer is a conversation, and that means that you need to take time to listen. So I would say the arrows is a supplement. And then fourth, and finally, silence and meditation. Silence and meditation. In our day, meditation has become associated with Eastern religions. I just want to make the point, and Christians tend to shun it for some reason. 
I just want to point out, Christianity didn't start in the West. Right? And if you read the book of Psalms, you see that there's this deep desire for and appreciation of meditation. Of reading a passage of Scripture, calling it to mind, and then thinking about it. In several Eastern religions, there's this idea of emptying yourself. But in Scripture, we see that, yes, of course, Jesus Christ emptied Himself and we should empty ourselves. But it's also about being filled. Filled with the truth. And you fill yourself with the truth by reading, taking the time to think about it, and then processing, absorbing it into yourself. And so, you know, I used to think that I would be a super religious Christian. I would get my own special cape or at least a badge if I read the Bible in a year. Right? You ever go through that period of time? Of course you did, because you went to youth camp, right? What would be wrong with spending a month in the Gospel of John? What would be wrong with just taking a chapter of Scripture and think, reading and thinking about it for a week? Ten days, two weeks. Think about that. We need to take time. So it's kind of like what goes on with me. It's all over the board sometimes. So we've talked about content, we've talked about form, but I want to end our time by talking about kind of the impulse, like what's the driving thought in our prayer. So look, it's good to lift up your concerns, to confess your sins, but Jesus says that the opening thought, the driving thought, is when you pray, you are to pray, Our Father. The opening thought, the driving thought is not, I'm sorry, or I need this, or I'm worried about. The driving impulse is, God, you are my parent. On you I rely for everything. I'm just a kid after all. That's the driving thought. God is your Father. Look, Prayer is not a scream out over the void to a deaf and invisible God. It's a conversation with a God who is near and relates to us in love. Jesus doesn't say, when you are to pray, you are to pray, dear Jesus' dad. When I pick up my daughter from school, it's, hey, Violet's dad. Jesus says, when you pray, you are to pray, our Father. Not Jesus' dad. Our Father, Jesus says. That through the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that God the Father who has loved Jesus from before the foundations of the world has become your Father. And that that should be the thrust of your prayer. To use Jonathan Edwards' example, that it should awaken you to reverence and deep abiding trust toward God who has become your Father through Jesus. To awaken us to the fact that you are not invited into some kind of stiff, starchy religious exercise, but into a deep, intimate, delightful relationship with the God who loves you. So friends, God is your Father. He is your Father because of the Son, Jesus Christ. 
In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I pray that those who have, you've given me will be where I am. Well, it's interesting. Jesus is on the earth when he prays that. So it, that thought can't be confined to heaven. So what does Jesus mean? I mean, I think that it can be about heaven, but he says, so that they may see my glory, so that they may see kind of my unique place in, in your heart and in, in their world. He said, the glory that I have is the glory that you've given me before the foundation of the world. And Jesus says, look, I pray, Father, that the people, that, that they would experience you, that they would delight in the eternal love that you and I share together. You are not invited to like this pyramid scheme. You are invited into a relationship with God. That's what prayer is. It's entering into the enjoyment and appreciation of divine relationship. That's what it is. And that goes beyond a to-do list. What if you went home today and instead of having a conversation, the person who lives with you just handed you a bunch of stuff. Do you mind taking care of this today? I'm kind of tired of worrying about it. Right? So then the next day, so tomorrow you go into the house and the person says, oh man, I'm so glad you're here. I've only got two minutes. I've got to go pick up the kids. Could you just take care of that? All right, so then Tuesday, you're like, oh, I'm not even going to show up. All right, so but Wednesday, okay? Here, I read about you today, by the way, sweetheart. I read about you, wonderful words. By the way, there's this person I work with. It's really, could you just like communicate with them in some way? How demeaning is that? We usually don't talk about God like this. But if God is a father, then that means he's relational. So how demeaning would it be that every time we talk to him, we're just giving him a bunch of stuff? When we talk about God, we're talking about relationship with God. And he has become your father because he loves you. And he will be with you. He will help you. So look, in that kind of experience, in that kind of viewpoint, in my opinion, kills transaction. And it encourages transformation. You're going to have your motives, good and bad. You're going to have your emotions, up and down. And you're going to have your disappointments and your victories. And the invitation is to simply pray. And to pray simply because God is your Father and He loves you. That you are a part of God's life. Oftentimes we pray, your kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we think that the kingdom is like, you know, like 2,000 years from now, or it's usually during our generation, right? That's what we always think. And we always think that Christianity is about this far-off kingdom. The truth of Christianity is this, is that His kingdom has come, and His will has been done on earth because of Jesus Christ. And part of His kingdom is inviting people like you and I into deep, abiding relationship. So friends, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart, but welcome Him in once again. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we do indeed thank You for Your work. Oftentimes in human love, we can exclude one another, but Your kind of love is always open to bringing others in. So we thank you. Sometimes we are hypocrites because we hide from you how we truly feel. And sometimes we do kind of blabble on thinking that we can manipulate you. So God, thank you for your steadfast heart that 
you would continually invite us in to know you more. Oh God, would you help us to understand and to enjoy and desire the love that you three have for one another and for us. And that you would help us to grow and that through prayer and your work in our life that you would change us in our world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to worship this great and wonderful God of our